series on what concerns Jesus. We have uh, uh, today and next week, and the acronym for this series is the word CHURCH, C-H-U-R-C-H. And today we're coming into the second C, where we're going to talk about the caring, the caring passion and constant pursuit of Jesus. So we're going to be looking at Luke 19 and some other places as well. But let me just start by saying this. It only amounts to a dozen words. But packed into those 12 words and 12 syllables and 37 letters are the caring, passion, and constant pursuit of Jesus. When we read these words, we bury ourselves into the heart of Jesus Christ as we read these words. And you've heard some of that heart in some of the songs we've been singing today. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. You, some of you could probably recite it for me. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Some other translations say it this way, for the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost, or the Son of Man has come to seek out and give life to those who are lost. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, to awaken our minds to um, really what Jesus is saying and to his passion and his pursuit, we need to remember context. Context is everything. People take verses of Scripture and they turn them into doctrines and belief systems that have nothing to do with the context of what Jesus is trying to actually say, oftentimes. So we don't want to cherry-pick the Scriptures. We need to look at the context. And context is everything. But let me ask you this question. Has anyone here ever had a song written about you? About your life? Anybody? I, I want your autograph, if, if you know. Anyone have a song named after you? No? no? Oh, oh, I... Maggie, you had a song named after you? Really? You know, when you, when you become really famous, will you remember us little people? Huh? That's pretty cool. I know that, that song, though, yeah, that's not a song about you. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to look at... Did you just say, good golly, Miss Molly? I guess that's a song that's named after you. Okay. We're going to look at someone. We're going to listen to a song that was written about someone. And James is going to sing this song for us. This is a song that was written about someone, named for someone. And so this is a famous song for some of you, not for all of you. So are you, are you ready? Oh, wow, that sounds pretty good. Go ahead. I might need some help with this. Zacchaeus was said for my to your house today going to your house today wow that came out that came out better than i thought it would that's Happy good to be of service <laughs> so you may remember 
When Zacchaeus reached the spot, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross right now. And he's going to be there in Jerusalem in short order. But right now he's going through Jericho and the crowds are pressing in. But this man, Zacchaeus, who wanted to desperately see Jesus was being blocked by the religious crowd. How desperate am I to see Jesus? How desperate am I to see Jesus? What lengths would I go to or maybe a better question is, is what lengths, what lengths do I go to to see Jesus in my life? It's interesting to me, and you see this all through the Gospel of Luke, that those who are the least powerless and the least religious and the most outcast in the Gospels are the most desperate to do whatever it takes to see Jesus, to touch Jesus, to be near Jesus. An unclean woman sneaks through the crowd just to, just to touch him. She would, have, she would have been considered the last person to touch a rabbi. The Greek Gentile, likely pagan Syrophoenician woman is willing to be humiliated to have her daughter healed. And now this wee little man. He was so desperate that he climbed a sycamore tree to get a clear view of Jesus and he got so much more than he bargained for because he not only did get to see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. Now that children's song James sang for us reminds us of this magnificent and abundant grace of the God who sees. He sees us. He sees us. He sees how we really are. And he sees what we really need. But I ask myself a question when I read this passage, when I hear that song. Why did Jesus want to go to Zacchaeus' house after he saw him? Why did he want to stay with Zacchaeus? Why? Because Zacchaeus was lost. Zacchaeus is the least likely candidate to be found. He's a Jewish man who has not only climbed a sycamore tree, but he's climbed the economic prosperity ladder by betraying and financially abusing his fellow Jewish citizens. He is the chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, he is the chief tax collector under the employ of the oppressive Roman Empire. All of this, no doubt in the name of personal benefit, and profit. So, so he is like the consummate outcast culturally. And he was living functionally away from God's desire for his life. In fact, when the people talk about Jesus going to be with Zacchaeus, they said this, he's gone to be with a guest of a sinner. Now here's what's interesting. Other places where you see this kind of language, you also see Jesus defending the person he's interacting with. But does Jesus defend Zacchaeus 
against this accusation? No. He doesn't. I think Jesus probably knew that this man was one of the worst. There's no point in defending him. Zacchaeus was lost. Now, in our day, in our world, we don't like to think in those terms about people. We don't even want to use that word. But this isn't my word. This is the word Jesus uses to describe his ultimate caring passion and constant pursuit for the souls, the very lives of people. Now, why is he so concerned? Why does this matter? I can't improve upon Dallas Willard's definition of lostness. So let me share with you. Something that is lost is something that is not where it is supposed to be. And therefore, it is not integrated into the life of the one to whom it belongs. Example. The other day, I went to get, have coffee. I did some studying at a coffee shop. I was there, and I just was working on my computer, working on my sermon, working on some stuff. And then I realized when I got to the car, I didn't have my phone. And I thought, where's my phone? I left my phone in the coffee shop. And I go into the coffee shop. My phone is now lost. It's not where it's supposed to be. It's no longer integrated into my life. What happens to you when your phone's lost and it's no longer integrated into your life? I bet you some of you get a little anxious. So I go into the coffee shop and I'm going, I can't find my phone. It's nowhere in here. I was just in here. And the young woman says, let me call your phone. She calls her phone. We're all listening for the buzz. Nothing. I said, well, let me go out to my car. See if it's out there. It's not integrated into my life. She calls my phone. I open it. I can't hear anything. All of a sudden, I lift my head up and I hear, and for an hour and a half, I had left my phone on the top roof of my car. It was integrated into the life of my car, not into the life of Jeff. So that's a really good illustration of what it means to be lost, something that is not where it's supposed to be. Therefore, it's not integrated into the life of the one to whom it belongs. He goes on and he says, when we are lost to God, we are not where we are supposed to be in his world and not caught up in his life. We are our own God, and our God doesn't amount to much. Many are lost before God, but do not even know it. So Jesus is concerned. Now, when that idea comes to your mind, what do you think of? When you think of the idea of lostness. Well, most often, I think, in religious circles, especially in Christian circles, we think, first of all, of eternal destiny. We think about getting people to heaven. And I think that really does carry weight, eternal destiny. But what we become in eternity after we die is a byproduct of what we are while we live and the choices we make while we live before we die. So what Jesus is speaking about here is much more earthy, I think. Have you ever carried a deep sadness for someone you know who is not where they're supposed to be? Who maybe are living in a life circumstance or choices that they've made that are hurting their life? 
perhaps deep sadness for the pain and suffering some may experience due to their choices, perhaps a broken heart because you want them so much to know about Jesus and everything we sang about today. But you carry this sadness. It's not just about someone missing out on heaven, though that matters. It's really about what someone chooses in this life. Dallas Willard finishes this up when he says, the ultimately lost person is the person who cannot want God. Who cannot want God to be God. Wanting God to be God is very different than wanting God to help me. That's a really good way to look at this. And that's why Jesus' heart is broken. This summer, while I was on sabbatical, there was about a 10-day period where in my soul, it got dark. And I became very grieved over some of the choices people I love dearly were making. Couldn't shake it. I was painting the mudroom and tears were welling up in my eyes. I couldn't just pass that thought along and let me go ride my bike and do something nice and fun. For about 10 days, I walked in this dark place of sadness for the souls of people I love. Sadness for what choices that exclude God have done in my world, in my culture, and how that's impacted my family. I've reflected on that a lot. I knew I was going to preach this sermon some point back in July. Imagine how Jesus felt. We see this burden expressed time and time again, especially in the Gospel of Luke. In just a little while, when he gets to Jerusalem, this is what we read. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He's weeping, looking at the city. We're so busy, we're so busy drawing up sides and creating divisions and making lines that we're not weeping. The brokenness in our lives, in our families, in our communities. Is this not one of his ultimate concerns? He's, his agonizing desire is that no one becomes a ruined soul. No one becomes lost. And he invites us to share that burden. And I'll mention that a little later. But here's the deal. Jesus Christ is preoccupied with lost things. Now, you may remember just before this part of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 15, you remember when he tells the parables of the lost things. 
Earlier in Luke's gospel, just like here with Zacchaeus, the religious people and elite took issue with the affection and the attention that Jesus gave to those that they thought were less spiritual, less righteous, less acceptable. The message paraphrase helps me when we read this in chapter 15. By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Now, before we go further, were you ever one of those people? Like, there was a time when, if they were writing this, and at one point in my life, I was lumped into the questionable people. All right? So, <laughs> I love the way it, this paraphrase says it. These men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. It's often interesting to me that sometimes the least religious among us, sometimes the farthest, furthest, furthest the person is lost, the outcast, sometimes they listen more closely than those of us who've walked a long time with him. Help us to be better listeners together. But he goes on. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. And so Jesus goes on and he talks about the lost sheep, the one lost sheep and the shepherds going for him. He talks about the lost coin in the house. And then he talks about the lost boy, the lost son. But those stories are not about the lostness of each person. It's about the shepherd who searches, even in the dangerous wilderness, for the one lost sheep. It's about the woman who tears her house apart to find one coin. It is about the father, the father who runs down the road towards the son who's abused his privileges and who's wayward, and he runs to him. This is not a story about the lost. This is a story about the one seeking to find that which is lost. This is the story of the seeking God and how God sees all of us. I think it comes down to how we see others. What we do with these words from Jesus today, it comes down to how we see others. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, these words, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one. C.S. Lewis famously said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Hold on to that for a moment. It's immortals. When you look at it this way, we can understand the pained heart of Jesus over anyone who is lost. And we now get the passionate pursuit of Jesus for the one who's not discovering and living the life that is life. We get that. But then there's this twist. There's always this twist with Jesus throughout the Gospel of Luke, but in all of these types of encounters. 
And the twist is this. Both the person who adamantly rejects God and any notion of salvation and the religious person, and for our terms, the Christian, who loses focus on Christ and it's caught up in their own desires or their own power or their own religious elitism or whatever, both are lost. Both are lost. Remember, when we are lost to God, we are not where we are supposed to be. When we're lost, we're not where we're supposed to be. Like my phone on the roof of my car. Right? So when we read the context of Luke 19, we see that it may be that the most lost ones were the most religious ones in the crowd. Remember the story. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus, this outcast, this worst of the worst, comes down at once, welcomes Jesus gladly. But all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They muttered as they looked at Zacchaeus. I don't think they saw Zacchaeus as immortal, do you? I wonder if in our world today, am I more of a mutterer? Or am I seeking to be like Jesus? You see, the concern of Jesus is so contrary to the concern of the religious elites here. Jesus has no interest. Check this out. Jesus never gives a definition of the lost so that the religious people can have that. That's the great temptation, I think. We want to define the lost so that we can categorize the lost and make sure people know we are better than the lost. It's happened over and over. We see it in Scripture over and over. Remember the the tax collector and uh, the Pharisee are in the temple together. And the tax collector just says, oh man, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Right? Ouch. Jesus has no interest in giving a working definition of the lost. This is his response to the reaction of the religious people to the lost. The people that they categorize as sinners. To the people that they thought were less than them. And I think this is, happens in real time in our world. You can think of all kinds of examples, but let me share this one with you. And this isn't a political thing. It's bigger than that. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, we've never seen immortals, right? Well, I'm sure you've heard about the death of this camera woman on the set of Alec Baldwin's new movie, Rust. If you haven't, you should Google it. It's a heartbreaking tragedy. Heartbreaking. And all the hoopla of the media, you know who I'm not hearing about? I'm not hearing about the husband and the children. We're broken. But I did read a story of a political candidate who is viewed as a prominent Christian suggesting that Baldwin 
become the target of tweets that would skewer him over this. Now, I don't bring this up to defend the political leanings of Alec Baldwin, and I'll just tell you right now, I'm sure we're not going to be in the same camp, him and me. And I'm not bringing up politics at all. But I wonder, remember how we see people? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Jesus saw him. Is this the same reaction as the muttering religious people? Is this the reaction the concern Christ would have? I raise this story, and I, I even hesitated including this. But I raise it because I think there's something at stake here with the way we're viewing one another. And the way Jesus views us, and the way Jesus views the world, and the way Jesus views those, whoever they might be, who are not where they're supposed to be. It would serve us well to remember the famous words of D.T. Niles, the Sri Lankan pastor, when he said this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I love that. So yes, Jesus calls this wee little man down from the tree and those beautiful words, I must stay at your house today. Do you know that is what Jesus wants to say to you today and me today? I must stay at your house today. Maybe you might protest that and say, time out. I'm not lost. Well, we're all beggars in need of bread. I was lost, but then I was found. And you know what I discovered? He continues to find me. <laughs> We are all beggars in need of bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All of us are in the whoever category. So yes, Jesus wants to come to your house. He wants to come to my house today. He, he wants to go to our neighbor's homes. He, he wants to go to the house of your loved ones. And he wants to go to the house of your enemies. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, he said. Pastor Chris Seidman catches this when he says, most people think that Christianity is about us seeking God when the truth is that it's more about God seeking us. He is in the white-hot, zealous, passionate pursuit of a relationship with each one of us. He does want, not want any of us to not be where we're supposed to be. And in fact, he wants us to join him in that burden. You know, Preston Ulmer said something that just struck me when he wrote, for people who don't yet have Jesus, they have us. For people who don't yet have Jesus, they have us. So who comes to your mind today? Who is that person that has you, that has me? That one who knows what concerns the heart of Jesus because they know you. That one you can share the journey of life with because they have you. 
But then secondarily, ask yourself this question. Is there anywhere in my life that I am not where I'm supposed to be in God's world and not caught up in his life? Here's the good news. He's looking for you. He's pursuing you too. And I'm reminded of those beautiful words at the, towards the close of Psalm 23 where it says that his goodness and his love will follow me all the days of my life. But this is what it literally means, that his goodness and his love will pursue me. He's after me with his goodness and his love. His, his, his caring passion and his constant pursuit of me And you, and every person that's not where they're supposed to be. So it only amounts to a dozen words. But packed into those 12 words, 12 syllables and 37 letters, is the passion and the pursuit of Jesus. So will we bury ourselves into the heart of Jesus Christ? Will we? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He is seeking all of us. And that, that's what concerns Jesus. Our worship team is going to come. And this morning, we're going to sing um, an old song, I guess. People need the Lord. Most of the time when we sing that song, we think about the world and you know how much the world needs the Lord. No one's going to dispute that in this room. But the starting place of this is knowing my own need for the Lord. So as we sing, people need the Lord today. Do you have, do you have some place in your life and in your heart where you're not where you're supposed to be. Well, you know what? You need Jesus. We say that all the time. We say Jesus is the answer, right? I mean, so we need Jesus. Or maybe you have a place in your heart that's heavy and sad for people you love who are choosing to Exclude God from their life and it's just breaking your heart. People need Jesus. Or maybe you find yourself not first looking at that person as this immortal made in the image of God who God loves. And maybe you need the Holy Spirit to help you see people like Jesus did. That's the miracle of of this passage. It's not that the little dude climbed up a sycamore tree. These two little boys right here, I've seen them do some climbing stuff. They can climb up trees. But what was cool was Jesus saw the little guy up the tree. Just like I'm looking at Travis and Connor this morning. Jesus saw him. 
let's pray for the heart of God in seeing people as he did. That's what concerns Jesus. Let's stand together.